Welcome, or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. COVID has switched my attention to major league games this summer, and the Cubs aren't playing now, but players develop at that level as well, until they no longer do. If you have any questions about Cubs development or this episode, fire away on the contest line at Tim815 on Twitter or at my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, Caraway and Cubs Draft Picks, and ask me questions if I was confusing. We spend our time where it's valued, and I don't wish to waste yours. Over the pat, well, since the Cubs selected Burl Caraway in the draft, there have been a couple of things that I have, a couple of times I've mentioned Caraway, and have gotten a bit of pushback, perhaps valid, perhaps not. And this podcast is specifically to look a bit at those with a bit more um, interest than usual. But I'm going to start with looking at the first round pick, Ed Howard, shortstop out of Mount Carmel High School in Chicago. And then after I talk about Howard and two other first round draft choices, then I'll talk about Caraway a bit. Howard was probably a top 12 pick before COVID shut everything down. As a high school player, he got, he had no college, no, no 2020 games at all. He's a Chicago kid, and by the time Chicago high schools would have started their season, COVID had pretty much shut down everything. So he, he I, I, possibly they might have been close to playing a game or two, but in reality, he didn't get in any play at all. On the other hand, once um, draft information started finished coming through, uh, Garrett Mitchell, who played at UCLA as an outfielder, there was more information to sort through on him. Hey, look at this video. See how he did this. Anything with Howard would have been from five or six months earlier and had very little value predictively. So uh, as the assessments of the draft picks have gone on, Howard disappeared and the college players had a rather huge edge, information-wise, for the June draft. On the day of the draft, I had three names on my Cubs accepted list. Those are three names I thought might be on the board and made a whole lot of sense to me. One of them, Austin Hendrick, was probably the third on my list, but he was acceptable. Big, power-hitting, left-handed, right-fielder. Probably break-even defensively right field. Not a whole lot better than that. Probably not a center fielder, but has good power. I was good with him. I was good with Garrett Mitchell, who is an outfielder that 
the Brewers backed into and are quite happy with. He's their top prospect now and is, I think, in the top 100 of the MLB list. And uh, Cubs had Ed How uh, Cubs selected Ed Howard, who was also on my three-person list. I was good with any of those three. There would have been others I would have been fine with, but those were the three that made the most sense as far as they could possibly be on the board, and they make the most long-term sense. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but I said long-term sense. When you're talking about a baseball draft, the goal is to have someone who, after six or eight years, you look through the past six or eight years, say, this guy is a good choice. Eventually... That was the decision on Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber. After a while, yeah, this guy looks like he did about what was being hoped for. If you get a player to develop and produce at the major league level, that's aces. That's a, you're completely good with that. And even if you don't get the ideal pick, if you get a guy who, for instance, the Cubs could have selected Aaron Nola, who's doing really well with the Phillies now. Um, Cubs took Schwarber. It doesn't, it's not, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not a huge problem if you sell, select a guy who is a B minus and someone else after you selects an A minus. It's not a huge problem because you got quality value for what you made your selection on. The Cubs don't win the World Series without Schwarber. It's all good. But the three players I was most interested in, Hendrick, Howard, and Mitchell, I thought they made the most sense because not only did I think they would probably be on the list, but they would probably eventually make a mark at the major league level and make my expectations appear accurate. That all three of them are national are with are now with National League Central teams was not lost on me. I'm going to definitely follow all three, and I'm not going to wish evil on any of them, which is you know to some Cubs fans uh, an alien concept. How can you not wish evil on someone that's with the Brewers? Because that's not my mindset. I want the players that are drafted to do well. I want the players to be drafted by the Cubs to do better than the other guys. I'm not wishing evil on anyone. That, that's, that's, for, that's for another mindset. But with the first-round draft picks, those three made sense to me over the long haul. Mitchell will probably reach Major League Baseball quicker than Howard, and that's fine. There's no worries about that, because when you make a selection, it's with a 6, 8, 10-year Time frame in mind. Some people don't like to consider the developmental years as years. I tend to. Because, for instance, how many major league games did Glaber Torres play for the Cubs? Let's see. Checks records. And it's a zero. But his trade brought Earl, Eroldis Chapman, who helped the Cubs win the World Series. Whether you like that trade or not, that was a very useful um, signing back when Torres was signed. And 
those years before he made the major leagues were actually kind of important, especially with Torres. So whether Howard makes it to major leagues by 2022 or 2024 or 2025, really insignificant. My hope is that he does well and eventually continues to upgrade his defense and his offense takes steps forward as well. That's the hope. And as he gets to play in minor league baseball somewhere, that'll probably happen. Okay, so it's a long-term process, not a short-term grab. Okay, now we go to second-round pick Burl Caraway. I've been a bit, there have been two things I've been a bit negative on regarding the Caraway pick. I don't like the Cubs selecting relief pitchers in the second round. I don't. I just don't. There are, as the Cubs are currently comprised, everybody's whining about, oh, the Cubs should have re-signed Nick Castellanos. Hey, that would have been nice, but ownership had a different take on finances than most of the fans do. And right field, for now, until it's not, appears to be a bit of a weakness for the Cubs. Jason Hayward's the guy. Hayward is a great dude. His play on the field the last couple years has been less than hoped for. There really shouldn't be a whole lot of argument on that. He is a good dude, and his play on the field, sporadic. Okay. I was interested in the Cubs selecting hitters with their first two picks, and I wanted one of the two to either be a center fielder type or a right fielder type. Garrett Mitchell would have served as either a center fielder type or a right fielder type. Austin Hendrick would have served as a right fielder type. I, if the Cubs would have drafted one of those two, I still would have wanted the Cubs to double down and get another hitter. What specific hitter? Well, it, it would have been a different different draft board. But as the Cubs drafted Howard, I wanted them to draft another hitter, preferably a right fielder or a center fielder. Uh, if you want to push me on who, uh, there's an outfielder named Davis whose name is first name is escaping me right now. Kind of reminded me a bit of Brennan Davis, who's doing quite well. Um, Cardinals drafted a guy shortly after the Cubs' second-round pick. And again, his name is escaping me right now. But he's a uh, do-it-all type of guy, a little bit of shortstop, a little bit of center field. He was a high school player, and if the Cubs would have selected him, he probably would have taken about all of the rest of their signing bonus money. So if the Cubs would have gone Howard plus this other high school guy, whose name escapes me right now, um, it would have been a very ballsy pick with almost all of the money going to the first two selections and the last three being moderate sloughs. It would have been an interesting ballsy pick. And I'd have been good with a gamble. Um, a lot of people wouldn't. 
it will be an interesting discussion at some point on down the line, and people will assume that all the information that we know in four or five years was known on draft day, but it wasn't. So, okay. Burl Caraway, I didn't want a pitcher. I wanted a hitter. Also, some of the reason that people like Caraway, left-handed pitcher, throws 99, is that that smacks of the type of player who can be run up from the minor leagues to Wrigley in one season, or so people like to say. I don't like that plan either. It kind of worked for Brandon Finnegan, who was a left-handed starter for Texas Christian in 2014. I think I have the right Texas school. Big 12 school and over 17 starts. Finnegan had an ERA in the 2.04, 2.05 range, something like that. Very good whip, walks plus hits per innings pitched. I think about 1.05 or something like that. Four, four strikeouts for every walk. About two and a half walks per nine innings. Something in that range. Um, Finnegan was a dude. And Kansas City decided what they wanted to do was take him from the college campus and see if they could get him to the major leagues in one year. Since Kansas City was a serious World Series contender that year. Again, can't really argue that. They were they made it to the World Series. They were one of they were a team that was uh they had a legitimate window. They they knew that they had a chance in 2014, they knew they had a chance in 2015, 2016 and beyond, maybe not so much. So they decided to throw pretty much everything they had at 2014 and 2015 to see if they could get to the World Series once or twice and win once or twice. They got to the World Series twice, they won once. So as it played out, it worked out really well for Kansas City. So they ran um, Caraway, no, not Caraway, Finnegan. They pitched him some in the South Atlantic League, Lexington, I think. Then they ran him up either at, I'm not remembering right now, I looked at it earlier today, either Advanced A or Double A, one of the two. So they, it would be effectively like the Cubs tried a player at South Bend and then either Myrtle Beach or Tennessee. And over those two, uh, two stops... He had about 18 innings, something like that. Walked four guys. And he had done so well in those two stops, they brought him up to the major leagues. He made seven appearances at the major league level in 2014. Seven appearances and pitched, I think, about nine innings. And... Walked one guy over nine innings, something like that. Maybe it was seven innings, nine games. But it was he, he pitched he pitched quite a bit 
for a first-year player and did rather well. Really not a whole lot to argue on that. He pitched a bit in the postseason. He pitched, as I remember, twice in the World Series. Once he did really well, and once he was really bad, as I remember. So, the next year, which would be 2015, which is the year that they actually won the World Series, they made it in 2014 and lost. 2015, they made it and beat the Mets. So, in 2015, Finnegan started with Kansas City, and I really don't know if they started using him as a starter in the minor leagues. I think they did. I think when I was looking at the page, I remember seeing four start, uh, four games, four starts, two games, two starts at two different levels. But shortly thereafter, he was back up with the major league club. And at a certain point, they used Brandon Finnegan as a major piece to get Johnny Cueto, who was a major piece in... Kansas City winning the World Series. So not only did Finnegan pitch for them in the World's pitch for Kansas City in the World Series in 2014, he also served as a major trade piece. He kept plenty of value into 2015 and was traded to the Reds in the Johnny Cueto trade, and Cueto helped the Royals win the World Series. So the the Finnegan selection, the Finnegan Fast track. That's what they. That's what people call it when a pitcher is rushed aggressively toward the major leagues. They fast track him. They're more interested in getting him outings, getting him appearances, getting him innings, than they are at developing his secondary and tertiary pitches. Usually, with a pitcher, it's best to slow play him and have him learn how to pitch his curveball better how to pitch a slider better, how to pitch a better changeup at various levels and have him learn something, take four or five days off and go back out, learn some more, and then take four or five days off and go out and learn some more and not rush the player to the major leagues. That's the standard protocol. But in the Finnegan case, Finnegan, who was was the 17th pick overall, was a starting pitcher, in the Big 12, for a very good team, it kind of made sense. So, what are the differences between Brandon Finnegan and Burl Carraway? Brandon Finnegan was a starting pitcher for a really good college team and had a really successful ERA and was among the elite pitchers in college that season. And it kind of made sense to fast-track him if you were in a situation like the Royals were. Whereas, on the other hand, Burl Carraway has never been considered an elite pitcher. He was a relief pitcher, very effective one, for um, Dallas Baptist University, a good school, But he didn't have the pedigree that Finnegan did. There's no specific evidence that Carraway would be better than Finnegan in a success rate. What I decided to look at was how specifically did Burl Carraway do 
in his college outings in 2020. It's an idea I've had before, but I kept thinking, no, that's a little bit too much homework for me to do today. I don't want to do it today. Well, today I decided, yeah, let's do it. So these are the general comments on Burl Caraway's outings in seven outings in 2020. In his first outing, I'm going to use records for the schools he pitched against. The records I'm going to use are going to be their complete season totals, not the total of the team when they played against Dallas Baptist. I figure, for instance, South Dakota State was the first team they played. Saying that South Dakota State was 0-0 when they played their first game against um, Dallas Baptist would be rather um, pointless and meaningless. So what I'm going to say is Burl Caraway pitched once against South Dakota State. They were a 5-12 squad for the year. On February 15th of 2020, Burl Caraway had his longest outing of the year. He pitched two innings, allowed one hit, one run. It was unearned. He walked two and struck out three. Caraway earned the win in this outing. Now, you, you can take whatever you want from that. Two hits, or two innings, one hit, two walks, three strikeouts. There's some good, there's some bad. He got the win. South Dakota State finished the year 5-12. and 12. Shortly thereafter, the DBU Patriots had a mid-season, midweek game against Texas Arlington, who finished 12-4. and four. Looking back, this is an outing that, if I knew everything back then, which I didn't, this probably would have been a good game for me to midweek listen to, because Dallas Baptist against a 12-4 and four UT Arlington team would have been a reasonable, reasonably interesting follow. Caraway, one inning, two hits, one walk, no strikeouts against a 12-4 and four Texas Arlington squad. After that, the next weekend series, Caraway probably punched his ticket for getting selected in the second round. He faced North Carolina, who finished 12-7. and He faced them in two separate games in the weekend series. In one of the games, he pitched one inning of one strikeout relief and earned a save. In his seven outings, he won two games, he saved four, and only had one no decision. That was the game against Texas Arlington. That was the only game that he didn't have either a win or a save. So that's a good thing. In the second game Caraway had against North Carolina, this is probably the one that he'd want to hang his hat on the most. I don't know if he'd be interested, but that, that would be the one. In an inning and two-thirds, no hits, no runs, no earned runs, no walks, Four strikeouts, got the save. Now that sounds real good, and I'm not going to argue that at all. Not going to argue that at all. That's pretty much exactly what you're looking for from a leverage reliever. That said, Dominic Hamel was the starting pitcher that day for Dallas Baptist. 
Hamel's season record was 19 and two-thirds innings, 13 hits, 12 runs, 10 earned, 7 walks, 27 strikeouts, 2 home runs against, 2-0, 4.58 ERA, which is okay, but middling, yeah? Okay, that's what I figured. 19 and two-thirds innings, 13 hits, 7 walks, 27 strikeouts, 2 home runs against, 2-0 record, 4.58. In the game that Caraway went an inning and two-thirds with nothing and four strikeouts, this is Hamel's line. Seven innings pitched, one hit, no runs, none earned, one walk, ten strikeouts. Now, if you're going to say the Burl Caraway, because of that one outing against North Carolina, should be considered <laughs> Brandon Finnegan-like, well, I hope that the Cubs are really closely watching Dominic Hamel because he pretty much mulched uh, North Carolina that day for the first seven innings, setting up, setting everything up for Caraway. So I'm not going to say that Caraway's not a good pitcher. He probably will be. But if you're going to base everything on the one outing, follow Dominic Hamel next year because he ought to be real good. If the inning and two-thirds by... Um, Caraway trips your trigger, then it's very possible that Dominic Hamel might be good as well. The next midweek, the DBU Patriots played Arkansas State, who finished seven and nine on January on February twenty-eighth. Caraway earned a win, one inning. One run, it was earned. Three walks, three strikeouts. Kind of a Carlos Marmol sort of an outing. He did get the win. And Arkansas State went 7-9. and nine. The next weekend, Dallas Baptist played Oral Roberts, who finished 6-10. and 10, And Caraway finished with two saves. One of them was one inning, one hit. Three strikeouts, the other was two-thirds of an inning, one hit, one strikeout. So he finished the year with four saves, two wins, no losses, and six walks in nine and a third innings. That's, that's not a bad year, all things considered. But that doesn't smack of this guy ought to be rushed immediately up to the major leagues. Now, perhaps he's doing really well in South Bend and he's absolutely dusting players and nobody can do a darn thing against him. And perhaps he's gotten a whole lot better now than he was then. After all, the perception of Garrett Mitchell is a whole lot higher now than it was on draft day. Perhaps the same has happened with Caraway. But there are three problems with rushing a player from the draft to the parent club. The first thing is there are steps that are left out. Caraway, if things were normal, he should be sent to 
South Bend, or Eugene. And if he does well there, then he moves up to the next level. And if he does well there, he moves up to the next level. That's the way things normally progress. As of now, saying anything along the lines of, I'm interested in the Caraway draft pick because he should be seriously considered for Wrigley Field because of how he did in college and because of how he did in South Bend at the alternate site. Well, you've got to do a couple of things first. You've got to convince me he's more likely to be successful than Adbra Alzale or Colin Ray or Justin Steele. All three of those are now in South Bend. All three of those are there. All three of those are on the 40-man roster. Why would you not try those three before you try Burl Caraway? The way you show that you're ready for the next level is by having done better at the preceding level. To show that you're probably going to be good for double A, do well at advanced A. If you're trying to convince you're ready for triple A Iowa, do well at double A Tennessee. That doesn't exist this year. That's nothing. That doesn't exist. It's impossible to assess from afar accurately this year. Once games got shut down, all of that went away, which is fine for some people, I guess. But I, my best way of assessing, for instance, if the Cubs are ever in a situation where game goes extra innings and for this reason or that reason, the Cubs are going to need a relief pitcher that next night. There have been times I've sent instant messages to Alex Cohen. Hey, who should the Cubs call up? Who's ready? Who's looking good? Who's proper? Who's the best player to call up? Because AAA is the place you pluck players from. And the player that would make the most sense right now would probably be in South Bend right now. Or would, would be in South Bend right now, but in a normal year, he'd be in Des Moines. Who is looking the best in Des Moines is probably the best answer for who is the guy that should get called up right now. That doesn't exist this year. So you don't want to call up. There's no reason to rush a player until he's shown that he's better than the level he's at. And at least from afar, that's impossible this year. Second reason you don't want to do it is as much as people don't want to look at it that way, the 40-man roster is a consideration. When a player gets added to the 40-man roster, whether justifiably or not, the Cardinals are looking at that right now. They have, they have a prospect named Dylan Carlson. He's good. He's going to be really good. And he's probably going to be better than some of the players that are on the Cardinals 40-man roster. However, is it in the Cardinals' best interest to add a player to the 40-man roster before he needs to be added, simply to have him play in a season that 
is kind of meaningless. It would benefit the player, but it would also add a name to the 40-man roster and clutter things. Clutter is not a good thing when it comes to a 40-man roster. Players who aren't ready to play regularly shouldn't be added to it. Because then what you end up having is players, for instance, Robel Garcia, because he was on the 40-man roster, when it came time for the Cubs to decide whether they wanted to keep him around or not, they decided they want, that he was the guy that was going to get designated for assignment, and they ended up losing him for very little to Cincinnati. Putting a player on a 40-man roster is a big deal. It's a big deal for a player, but, the, but fans should also realize that there can eventually be blowback adding a player to the 40-man roster before necessary. Finally, with uh, um, adding the player to the roster, it isn't, there's no guarantee, there's no, there's no indication even that Caraway would be useful at the major league level. You can say, I hope, you can say, I wish, you could say, it would be nice if, but at the college level, Burl Caraway walked six guys in nine innings. The records of those teams, 5 and 12, 12 and 4, 12 and 7, 7 and 9, 6 and 10. Now those were college teams. Those weren't AAA teams. Those were college teams. The South Dakota State Jackrabbits are not an elite college baseball team. And... He gave up a hit and a run over two innings. It's not to say that Caraway doesn't have a long-term possibility. He certainly does. But as far as right stinking now, that sounds like a pretty silly idea. When I fill out my sheet every day prepping for the Cubs game, I write down for the various players their names and how many games, at-bats, runs, hits, etc. on down the line. Albert Almora has played in 469 games for the Cubs. Close to 500. You throw in preseason games, you throw in postseason games. He's over 500. He's played a, quite, quite a few games in the Cubs uniform at the Major League level. Nonetheless, even though he's played in 469 games... There are three completely different outlooks on Almora. Some people think he ought to be the starter. Some people think that he probably shouldn't be the starter. But if he were getting more playing time, he would probably be doing better than he is now. A third camp is he is who he is, and he's probably in danger of not being around next year. Now, I could make an argument for all three of those. I have my mind in mind, and what that is really doesn't matter. But Albert Almora has played 469 games for the Cubs. You've probably seen a lot of them, and Cubs fans don't agree on who he is. No agreement. Some people think he should be starting. Some people think he ought to be gotten rid of in the next offseason because he has no future. Kind of a wide variance. 
He's played 469 games for the Cubs. Burl Caraway has played zero professional games with box scores. There is a whole lot less information on Burl Caraway than there is on Albert Almora. I think that's a fair call. So it could be a situation where some people hear this or that from this expert or that expert and have a completely different assessment on Caraway's future than someone else would. Completely understandable. Because baseball, you're going to have different takes on different players. And if your take on a player is based off of one or two different videos, that's significantly less um, oh, quantifiable. I'll use that term. I don't think that's the word I want. But then a player who's played 469 games for the team at the major league level. Caraway is going to be who he's going to be. And the best way to develop any player is to take your damn time. There's no flipping rush to get a player from here to there. The when Kyle Schwarber was signed out of Indiana, he was sent to Eugene. It took one series for the Cubs brass to realize Kyle Schwarber is better than the Northwest League. So after one series in the Northwest League, Schwarber was promoted to the Midwest League. There he stayed about, what, three weeks? Four weeks, maybe? Then after that, he was promoted from the Midwest League to the Florida State League, where he played in Daytona. And he did rather, rather well there as well. That's how you promote a player. Promotion in Major League Baseball is, in, in a Major League Baseball pipeline scenario, is not, ooh, I hope. That's, the, that's an absurd way to run business. And yes, it is a business. Caraway is a fine pick. I'm good with him being selected. I wouldn't have gone that way, but... If the Cubs develop him properly, work on his prime, work on his fastball, work on his, geez, what is his second pitch? Is his second pitch a slider or a curve? I can't even remember. I don't even, but um, the hope would be in 2021, when there are minor league games to be played, he'll be sent to advanced A ball. I would guess advanced A ball. Maybe it'd be double A, but I think it'd be advanced A ball. And then if he crushes there, then you move him up to double A. If he struggles at, a, at advanced A ball, you leave him there. You let him struggle a little bit. Then eventually, if he's still struggling, maybe you send him back down to a, um, the Midwest League or however that would end up will end up working in 2021. You want a player to be successful and struggle a bit. But after he's shown he's better than a specific level, then you move him up to the next level. If he's better than that level, you move him up to the next level. And once a player gets to double A, 
if he's better than double A for two months, then you move him to triple A. If he's better than triple A, then you move him up to the major leagues. The Cubs haven't had a whole lot of players who are markedly better than triple A, which is why they've had a bit of trouble getting talent in mass through the pipeline up to the major league level. Hurrying players along doesn't help with that. Burl Caraway ought to be not held back, but when he has a chance to show his wares at the advanced A level, if he shows over the course of two or three months that he's better than the advanced A level, move him up to double A. If he shows that he's better than double A, move him up to triple A. But patience is important with player development because a player is... He takes a whole lot less space in an organization if he doesn't have a 40-man roster spot. So waiting to make sure the player is has shown evidence that he's ready to be ready for the major leagues is a wise idea. It's not about the um, Chris Bryant holding him down to add the year of no, no, no. It's, it's not about that with most players. It's really hard to be a good major league pitcher. If this were a regular year and Caraway had been assigned to South Bend and he was better than South Bend, he should be promoted. If he's better than Myrtle Beach, he should be promoted. If he's better than Tennessee, he should be promoted. But pitching against players in South Bend this spring, this summer, it's not about he's going to be better than... He, there, there's, no, there's no evidence that he's better than Edber Al-Saleh or he's better than Colin Ray, who pitched a very fine inning in relief. Or there's no no reason to believe that he's better than quite quite a few of the He's probably not better than Cody Allen. He's probably not better. The Cubs just signed a pitcher named Darmody, a left-hander who's been, uh, who had pitched a bit in the major leagues and he'd pitched in independent ball in, this season. The Cubs signed him, added him to their 60-man player pool with the last spot, Darmody has pitched in Major League Baseball. He pitched effectively in independent ball this year. He's a left-hander. I would rather take a gamble this year on Darmody than on Caraway, because first off, Darmody has better Major League bona fides than Caraway. And also, Caraway, you don't have to add him this year. There's no evidence, no evidence that he would be better than Darmody or Elzele or a whole bunch of the guys. Cody Allen, who's pitched in a World Series. Why, why would you think that Burl Caraway would be a better pitcher this year for the Cubs than Cody Allen? If you have a reason for that, Feel free. Feel free. Lastly, if you are a huge 
Burl Caraway fan. And that's cool if it is. I think every Cubs, every baseball fan ought to have one player in every minor league draft that they follow the hell out of. You know, follow him on Twitter and whenever he's, if it's a relief pitcher, when you hear that he's coming into the game, turn off the Cubs game and listen to the minor league game. Listen to that, listen to that guy. He's your guy. He's your dude. Learn about him. Find out about him. Find out about his family background. Find out about what his pitching coach said about him in college. Find out, you know, find out all the things that you can about the one dude. I'm completely good with people doing that. There are no college, uh, there are no minor league games this year, but if you believe that Burl Caraway is good enough to go as a legitimate closer at a good school who played against largely middling competition, and you're backing him all the way, that's cool. I'm good with it. I completely am down with you being completely supportive of Burl Caraway. Completely. If you are, here's the catch. You're probably ready to start following two or three college teams. Because college teams are where you find the guys who are going to be like Burl Caraway. Don't wait until the Cubs draft a player to decide, ooh, I wonder if this college team was any good or not. Decide that Decide that in advance. You can do all the homework you want. There's no, there's no federal mandate on how many hours you can do on researching a college team. If you're a big Burl Caraway fan, follow Dallas Baptist next year. Just do it. I think... I've had games on of theirs in the past, and I think they provide free audio. If they don't provide free audio, which again, I think they do, the teams they're playing often will. So if you decide you want to be a Dallas Baptist fan, and you want to be able to quote facts and, facts and figures to me about why the Dallas Baptist third baseman or Friday night guy or what... Tell me all about this um, Dominic Hamel. Or is it Hamel? I don't even know how you say the dude's name. But he pitched really well against North Carolina last year. It's completely legitimate for you to be a Burl Caraway fan. And it's equally legitimate for you to pick a college team and follow the heck out of them. Because if you follow the heck out of a college team, not only do you have a good feel for one college team, doesn't matter which one it is. Let's, uh, let's say you want to take Duke or Carolina or North Carolina State. One of those three. You know, whichever one it is that you like. Normally you can find somebody who likes one of those three schools. Probably hate one of them. You're kind of okay with the other. And you like the third. Now whichever one it is that you dig, follow one of those three. Or follow one of the Arizona schools. Arizona, Arizona State. Or one of the... 82 billion really good college schools in California or one of the 25 really good baseball schools in Texas. Heck, next year I ought to follow Texas Arlington better. They went 12-4 this year. That's a pretty darn good record. And I couldn't tell you two guys on Texas Arlington's team. I I ought to have a better idea on them because if they went 12-4 and four this year, they're probably kind of good. 
And if they're probably kind of good, they probably have a couple of guys who ought to be drafted next year. If you're buying into Burl Caraway, find a college team you dig. Because, frankly, college games in February and March are about trying to win the game. The DBU Patriots weren't bringing in Burl Caraway in close games in February and March last year because, my, this would be a novel idea. That's exactly what teams are doing in Major League games in Arizona and Florida in February and March. They don't care if they win or not. Yeah, they'd like to. But what they want to do is they want to see how good the 60 guys they brought into camp are. Next year, in February, in March, I doubt the Cubs will have Burl Caraway as a non-roster invitee. I could be wrong. Maybe he'll get called up. Or maybe he'll get a, a roster spot in Mesa. But even if he doesn't, it's quite easy for a team to summon a player from minor league camp and bring him to major league camp, either a home game or a road game. And for that day, he gets Major League Baseball service. He gets Major League Baseball per diem for a day. And then in a game, in a spring game, out in Arizona, the Cubs can bring in Burl Caraway in the seventh inning of a game and let him pitch. And then, if you're watching the game, you can start taking notes on, oh, I like this pitch of Caraways. I like that pitch of Caraways. Ooh, that one, uh, his secondary needs a little bit more work. And that's why rushing a player from college to major league ball is usually not a very good idea because college players aren't nearly as good as professional players who have three or four years of developmental experience. Playing Professional baseball is hard. Playing Major League Baseball is particularly hard. If I'm saying I don't think Burl Caraway can be helpful for the Cubs in 2020, that's not a damnation. That's not a permanent condemnation. That's just saying I don't think he's ready yet. Cubs drafted Justin Nwagu in the third round. I don't think he's ready yet. They drafted Luke Little in the fourth round. I don't think he's ready yet. They drafted Ed Howard in the first round. He's certainly not ready yet. Let minor league players develop. Let them show how good they are. They're good to a certain level. And appreciate that. Don't push. Don't demand. Some of the biggest mistakes Major League teams have made over the past 40, 50 years is rushing players. Oh, who was the who was the first rounder? I should probably pause the podcast, but I'm not going to. There was the left-handed pitcher the Cubs drafted in the first round in 91, 92, 93, somewhere in there, around the Mike Harkey era, so, somewhere in that range. And um, 
the kid had pitched a full college load as a college junior. Full load. 100, 115, 120 innings. Cubs drafted him, sent him to the Midwest League, got three or four starts out of him there. He did okay. They moved him up to either advanced A or double A. He did well there. They moved him to double A or triple A. And kept pitching him, kept pitching him. Brought him up to the major leagues in his first year as a professional. First outing, not too terribly good. Second outing is all right. Third outing, he blew out his shoulder. Career's over. Rushing players is generally very stupid. Saying that rushing Burl Caraway is a bad idea is not criticizing Caraway. It's criticizing the idea of rushing players. Some people have commented through the years that possibly the Cardinals' Michael Waka was rushed too quickly. They wanted to get him to the major league level as quickly as possible to help with the Cardinals' rush to one of their many runs in the playoffs. They were more interested in getting him to the major leagues than developing his second and third and fourth pitches in the minor leagues so that he would be a fully formed pitcher when he got to the major leagues. Waka had an okay career. But if the Cardinals had been more interested in developing the full player, working on his conditioning, working on it, working on everything instead of trying to rush him to the major leagues, it would have been completely different. Maybe his career would have been better. Maybe his career would have been worse. But I don't think there's a whole lot of upside in valuing this specific calendar year over the future, especially when this calendar year is so fraught with uncertainty. There's really no point in 2020 of, I have to get... Burl Caraway to the 40-man roster so he can, I have no idea what he's going to do, but I, hunching, hoping, wishing isn't a strategy. At least it's not a winning strategy. A winning strategy is make sure he's good at one level, then that's evidentiary that he'll be good at the next level, which leads one to believe he might do well at the next level and keep pushing him up until he has troubles. Caraway has a long career ahead of him with the Cubs if he pitches well. The goal ought to be to get him to pitch well, not to get him to major leagues, not to get him to Wrigley really quickly. Thanks for stopping by Pre-Hour of Excellence. I kind of apologize for this one going on a while, but there you go. And I'll try to post another podcast as circumstances warrant. I'll attempt to make that one worth your time as well. Be safe, go Cubs go, and be nice to people.